and welcome again to Witch Car Weekly, the podcast that takes all of our favourite journalism minds at Bauer Media, all of our great mag titles, all of the presence online, and combines them into one super concentrated podcast and all the stuff that we either couldn't get to or just were too scared in the previous seven days. Yeah. My name is Daniel Gardner, um, and I have been absent, and I apologise, but I'm now back with a vengeance. Uh, and I'm joined by my dear friend's uh, associate editor of Motor Magazine, Scott Newperson. Hello, Dan. And deputy editor of Wheels Magazine, Sir Andy of Enrightshire. Hello. Very lovely to be back with you, gentlemen. Um, we're bringing our usual blend of wit and knowledge about <laughs> segments. Travel, then? Se- well, yeah, no, all right, no that's, there's no guarantee in that. It's, I, I, we just live in hope. Yeah. And wit, it often works out. Wit, knowledge, stroke, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> perhaps the odd stroke. On today's show, an Italian icon rises from the ashes, the world's most talented drivers, and an all-new series for Australian motorsport fans. Ooh. Ooh. me interested. Excellent audience reaction. Thank you, gentlemen. Let's get straight into it. Day Tommaso, a brand that hasn't been seen or heard of for many years. Uh, it was, was famous at some point. Founded by um, gentleman's nationality, Argentinian. Argentinian. Yes. Oh, you just got that in stereo. There you yeah. go. There's a little treat. Personal jinx. You can thank me later. Um, now, Datamazo, like a few uh, defunct and dormant sports car manufacturers, has now been confirmed it will uh, it will be resurrected at nothing less than the Goodwood Festival of Speed, mm-hmm. which is, I think I'm right in saying, July the 4th. Is that a significant date? <clears throat> Not th- for us, but for our US listeners, it is, isn't it? it is very significant. It's when the aliens come and they blow up the White House. Oh, yeah. Great. Well, I mean, there's two things to look forward to. Um, <laughs> so, Data Mazo will rise again. The Revenant brand will reveal something at Goodwood. Now, all they've released at the moment is uh, a camouflaged car mm-hmm. uh, from one angle. And as Louis Cordoni wrote about in his story, he says it looks a bit Datamazo-ish. That's all yes. we know. They've yep. released no other uh, information uh, other than the hashtag return of a legend. No, well, hashtag project By Datamazo-ish, you, he means, and you mean, the car most people are familiar with, which is the Pantera. Yeah. Now, if you said name more than one model of Datamazo, people would would fail. Yes. If you had asked me before, like an hour ago, when I actually decided to research this podcast, I would have come up blank. Okay. Well, give us now that you have researched them. Give us some others. Okay. So they made the long, long champ, long champ, long champ, yeah. long I pretty much says long champ. Yeah. yeah but but you know, we talked about this in previous podcasts. And if you don't, if you didn't listen to that one, go back and tune in to previous one where I talk about why it's Alpine and not Alpine. Now, but you're wrong on that. So it doesn't well, matter. okay. Well, the, long champ or long champ. It's French, long shot. The yeah, way it looks, and basically, sa- like we, we, you sound like a dick when you say long shot. Oh, it's long champ. Yeah, you do, Carry especially because the way it looks. <laughs> like if it looked like a, if the Pantera was called a long shot, you'd go, oh yeah, sleek, sexy. But the long champ looks pretty much like a beefed a, up Ford Cortina. It's a big boxy sedan. Yeah, 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 so it doesn't really lend itself to the uh, sexy French pronunciation. <laughs> Carry on. Sorry, I rudely interjected. Um, and there was what else was there? There's not that many. There's the Deauville. The Deauville. Deauville. The Mangusta. Yeah. The Valamonga. Well, there was the Mangusta oh. a Cavale. Ah, uh, this is the new stuff. Or the what? new one. Yeah. The, there was um, a Mangusta. Oh, there was a Mangusta. There the, was, the Mangusta yeah. was the first one. There's and that co- looked really cool. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm going to weigh in here and say they all look cool. That's the one thing that Datamaz has always done right. That every car they've produced, 
looked fantastic. Now, I know the the, um, the Longchamp uh, was perhaps a bit boxy and 80s kind of looking, but it, but it was cool. It had a real presence. It did look good. Mm. The one thing all along, Dave Mazzo has been good at his styling. That's mainly because they just pinched stylists from all yeah, over. Yeah, a lot, a lot go- of the work was done by a fellow called Tom Chiada. Yeah. Um, and he is one of the real unsung uh, car stylists of the last century. He did so much good stuff. And uh, he, he deserves to be thought in the terms of uh, a, a Gandini or nearly a Giugiaro. I think, but, yeah. I think there's two things here. One, okay, so, so the Tom Tiara ones are good, but the modern ones are rubbish. Like the Caval oh, they're horrific. looks like it's something wrong with it. And the Duville <laughs> looks just like, you know, instant... Yeah sleep in instant sleep it's just so boring uh, anyway but yes the, the old ones are good and i'll put this out there the pantera is one of very few supercars i think that looks better with a wing yeah it does subaru yeah. wrx sti that's not a supercar <laughs> get out get out okay i was i, was but, I mean the Countach is very you know polarizing you know, some people love it without some people you need that 25th anniversary oh it's not the 25th anniversary you know the what's it called the, the lp 5000 yeah, yeah um yeah. With the wing, uh, I'm on the fence with that one. But for me, the Pantera has to have the wing. Otherwise, it looks, looks a bit, I don't know, it looks a bit just... Apologetic. It's yes. Like, it's like a <laughs> Mazda RX-7 FD without a wing. It, yeah. looks, oh, yes. it yeah. looks like a saggy bottom thing, doesn't yeah. it? Soggy bottom, boys. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, coming back onto the topic now. Yes. Uh, we have, there's a brief, there was a brief history lesson in Data Mazda. Um, it will, it will return with a mystery model. Can it, can the world... Can the automotive landscape sustain another small volume boutique sports car manufacturer at a time when others seem to be coming back as well? TVR, Alpine, all these little sort of manufacturers. Alpine. Thank you. Not. Um, is there room? Can they survive? Who? The, the, I suppose the essence to this to this question and the answer lying therein is who owns it, and the answer to that is the chap who owns Apollo. Yes, the Apollo is an interesting thing. You kind of look at it and it seems like a bit of an irrelevance, like they're going to make so few of them. But apparently it works and works quite well. It sounds cool. It, it's bloody gonna, fast. Yeah, they're going to make production versions. I've seen it drifting around a racetrack in the Middle East. This um, is the IE, isn't it, we're talking the about? The IE, yes. And, yeah. and that is the successor to the the most unattractively named vehicle of all time. The Gumpert. The Gumpert. Yeah, I don't, Seriously. I, I don't think Roland... Gumper is anything to do with this new? <laughs> no, he's not. New skin, That's why the, re- yes. the main reason why I said he didn't yeah. lend his name to it. <laughs> dump, some... dump the gump. <laughs> dump the gump. I'm so sorry, Gump. We can't have you involved in this. Why not? Why not? I'm a great engineer. Because your name's crap. What's <laughs> kind of confusing though is that the Pantera's kind of already come back a little bit. There's an Italian mob called yeah. Eris Design that have basically made really sexy modern versions of older cars. Integrale was the latest one. They That's had... Danny Bahar's crew, isn't it? It is Danny yes. Bahar. Yeah. Bahar. Um, but they also recreated essentially the Pantera. It's called the Eras Eras Design Panther, and it looks basically like a Dimaggio Pantera made in 2018, and it's a Lamborghini Huracan underneath. Oh. So you might be listening to this and going, "I swear I've seen something about like Dimaggio oh, coming okay. coming out again," yeah. but it's not. So this is the actual brand Dimaggio. The people who actually own the rights, which they bought for like. I think 1.25 million, which seems like a very small amount for a brand right. Which also doesn't give me a huge amount of faith. When you see that badge on the back, though, it does just look like arse design, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) You can't think anything. Which, as long as it's on the back of the car, it's fine. Um, The other confusing thing is their choice of launch date, because uh, I don't know if I can say this, but why the hell not? There's a couple of other big models coming at Goodwood, normally the A45, you A45 AMG. Yeah. And the new Porsche came in GT4. 
So all right. the, the, the new the, the new cycle might be somewhat uh, Question full. to the panel then. Would you, if you're at Goodwood, you, you can only go and see one of those three reveals. Yes. The A45, the, what is it, Panamera GT4? Cayman GT4. Cayman GT4, sorry. Um, or the mystery model from Revenant Datamazo. Cayman. Oh, I would definitely see the Datamazo because there is a much higher um, probability of a fiery conflagration. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be there, yeah. I would be there also because everyone loves failure and yeah. conflict and I would love to be ringside when they reveal this absolute pig ugly model. But the thing is, you said earlier, is there space for this car? The, the Pantera, it was always predicated on the fact that it had this bulletproof American V8 engine and it was wrapped in this sexy Italian-looking styling. And that was that was a formula that appealed to people. But, but now, I, I don't think people would buy a Lamborghini or a modern Ferrari and expect it to be an unreliable car. Well, that's the thing. If you want a mid-engine supercar now with a with an American V8, go and buy a Corvette. True, and none, none of the details have been confirmed about this, this mysterious enigmatic no. car. It might not be mid-engine. I could... suspect it may not be powered by an American V8 either. Well, it's... yeah, although it's definitely not going to be their own engine. The Datamazo has never produced Is the Brabham engine. the modern-day Datamazo Pantera? I, I would say that's close mm. to the mark, definitely. Um, funny you should use your choice of words. is, is very appropriate there, And You said bulletproof engine. Uh, why is that significant to the Datamazo? Is that because um, one Elvis Aaron Presley uh, opened fire on? He His did. Car? He did. Yeah. Yes. He That's was... why he shot the dash, not the engine, because he knew it wouldn't do anything to the engine. Because <laughs> it's good old American iron. That's, That's what right. it is. Um, yeah. One of the most famous, if not the most famous owner of a Pantera, Elvis Presley, uh, once was so frustrated with his car that wasn't starting that he drew a gun and shot it. <laughs> if it was in his later years, he'd probably even he'd probably forgotten to put the key in or something. Um, but I mean, I like this. It's funny, like. At the period, you were probably like, okay, cool car, but it's got a, you know, it's got a, what was it, a Ford V8, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, you probably at the time you'd go, oh, I don't know about that. Whereas now it's probably almost a, it's a boon because it'd be a lot easier to get parts for a Ford V8 for a DiTomaso Pantera than it would be for like a Maserati Mirac or something like that. Yeah. Which like, would be yeah. just as unreliable. And and, and also, that uh, Maserati DiTomaso link, Di Tommaso was in charge of Maserati when they produced their most lamentable vehicles. The whole has anyone not turbo, owned Maserati? By ter- um, You've owned Maserati, haven't you, Dan? Yeah, I, yeah, I've owned it. For <laughs> Have quite you owned a long it, time. Andy? Uh, only for a few weeks. But, oh, it's longer know, than most people, which is average. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> so yeah, they've got a lot of coming back uh, to do after that. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's. Just, I don't want to say who cares, but. It's a brand that has so little significance. Like if it's, yeah, okay, so look into the future. Like when then. Bugatti came back, you're like, okay, storied franchise, Grand Prix success, all that business. Yeah. And I know Dieter has an F1 link, but... Mm. Well, at least it, was, it was one of the most spectacularly unsuccessful F1 teams. Um, oh, Tim, oh, yeah, yeah. Tim Schenken drove uh, from in 1970, oh. and uh, they actually did 18 Grand Prix. Um, no one no, remembers. No points. The sh- this was the chassis, the Di Tommaso chassis. It was uh, Tim Schenk and Joe for Williams. Um, ten retires, four did not qualify, two did not start, oh. and only two times did they see the checkered flag and never never won a point. Oh dear. Okay, so I would say that you know that they might be setting themselves up for failure, but at least people have very low expectations. When yeah. you, to use your example, which I think is a great example, Scotty Bugatti, when that came back. 
great. Everyone's got massive expectations, which mm. to, to a large extent they have met. Yes. Whereas Data Mazo, perhaps not. Um, let's look to the future then quickly before moving on. So we looked at the past, looked at the present, the future. Um, we mentioned briefly that it's owned by the same uh, group as Apollo Automobile. Mm-hmm. Um, and HWA is the brand, is the, is the bunch that uh, is producing that car or helping to develop and build the IE that we spoke about before, which is, looks to be a very, very potent and capable car. Um, if they are involved with the construction of this mysterious model from Datamazo, then it'll be a cracker. It'll be an absolute firecracker. Mm. And, and HWA is involved in building Mercedes-AMG's GT4 cars Yeah, as GT3 well. cars. Oh, GT3 well. the race program. Um, I mean, that's the thing. If it's, if it's created by the guy that's done the Apollo... He's looking at the Apollo. Go and Google it, Apollo IE. It's certainly not someone who lacks imagination. 100%. And then if it's being built by HWA, then it's being built by one of the world's preeminent race car constructors. Yeah. So we can say, you know, who cares? But it might be fantastic. So does the world have room for another fantastic supercar? Uh, Sure. Why not? Exactly. We're not going to disagree with that. I'm looking forward to the Project D. (laughs) P. 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 Okay. I'm on board with that now. (laughs) A little bit later, we're going to talk about a brand new racing series that starts in Australia this weekend. But before that, I ha- it is my duty, as it always is, to remind you, if you haven't tuned in, to see an episode of Which Car on your televisions... Your pleasure, not your duty. Yeah, true. True, Both. true. Both. Duty and pleasure. Then please do, Channel 10 on Sunday afternoons, Which Car, you can see all of our ugly mugs doing the things that we do in our day job. It is a huge amount of fun. There's not many episodes left now. I think we're up to episode... 17. 17? I won this week. Oh, what are you doing this week? Raptor. Oh, honestly, that's one of my favourite features you've done. I oh, thought it was you. absolutely wonderful. If you want to see, if you want to see the Raptor, the Raptor is one of the most heavily covered vehicles in the past twelve months. The Ford Ranger Raptor. Um, but if you want to see someone looking at it from a slightly different angle and doing it very well, tune in this Sunday afternoon, Channel Ten. And if you haven't, uh, if you didn't manage to catch it, and you're listening to this many years, decades in the future, <laughs> then you, you it might still be available on Ten Play on After demand. After the Super has been released. Yes. Raw talent. Can we talk about that later? Raw <laughs> talent. Raw talent. It's something we see in virtually every uh, profession, industry, skill. It's particularly relevant in motorsports. And Andy, you raised a very good point about raw talent. When yes. We were chatting earlier. Yeah. Um. And initially, it didn't seem to have anything to do with motorsport at all. I was. Uh. I woke up this morning and I got my iPad and I just saw Nick Kyrgios who had had an epic, epic meltdown <laughs> at the Italian <laughs> Open and had uh, smashed his racket and sworn at everyone and had thrown a chair across the court. Classic Kyrgios. And um, as, the, as the match referee approached the court and was going to default him, Kyrgios just put his rackets in his bag, said, that's me done and, and stomped off. And um, He's a special character, isn't he? Yeah, he really this, is. This whole Kyrgios thing got me thinking. Um, when... I was at the Bend uh, a couple of months ago. Mark Webber was there, and we, we sat and had a chat. And Webber was asked, who was the most naturally talented driver that you ever drove with? And we all expected him to say, you know, an Alonso, or, you know, once you'd witnessed Michael Schumacher, blah, 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 blah. And he didn't. He said, by far the most talented driver that we ever drove with was Antonio Pizzonia. <laughs> and... Hang on, did you know that too, Scotty? Uh, I didn't know the answer for sure, but I remember, like I was at the bend, I was at that dinner, so I did remember his name coming up. So, yeah. yeah. Ah. But, but we all he look- of the uh, Jag S-Type R barrel roll. At, yes. Which went, went around Twitter, went around social media recently, the video again. Anyway. Yeah. Um, 
But Pizzonia was an amazingly undistinguished F1 driver. Um, mm. I think the best result he ever got was a seventh place. Um, and so we were all completely baffled as to why Weber had, had identified this also ran. And, and he said to us that, you know, when the cameras weren't on Pizzonia, he was like lightning in testing and all that sort of stuff. Weber got nowhere near him. And as soon as you packed a grandstand with people, he got very nervous. And, and also he didn't have the greatest work ethic as well. Oh, yeah. And um, I like the sound of him. Yeah, <laughs> he, I think it would get along famously. Yeah. And he likened him to Kyrgios. He, he said, oh, you know, really? the, yeah, the guy had the world at his feet. He had all the talent that you ever needed, but he just couldn't or wouldn't apply it in the right wow. way. And it, and it got me thinking, you know, how far in motorsport does just natural talent alone get you? And I suspect it's not very far these days. I agree. I've, I, really like, I really like this topic, so I've taken some notes. I think oh, there's three... I when Scotty makes notes. I think there's three categories. You've got nature. Oh, God, you really have. Nurture. Oh, and a combination. Hang on, I wrote that. Oh, you did, but I've expanded on them. All right, yeah. Nature, yeah. nurture, as you wrote, Dan, Thank to give you. you your credit, yeah. and a combination of both. So I think nature, you'll initially be very strong. If you're naturally talented at something, you'll pick it up very quickly, but then you will fade. Nurture, direct opposite. If you don't have any great affinity for it, but if you really love to do it and work hard at it, it'll be the inverse. You'll struggle to begin with, but get stronger. Now, obviously, everyone at an elite level, no matter what the sport, F1 or soccer or football or whatever, will need a combination of both. So then I guess the argument starts, when you've got a combination of both, where does the tipping point lie? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I've, I've intrigued by a quote by um, Dr. Helmut Marko, who's the boss of Red Bull's uh, junior driver program. And yeah. he said talent that's not enough they need to be desperate oh that's a good point so you've got to want it so to build on that earlier i think that this is i'll throw this out there and i'll get your response so i think talent will have higher highs but i think work ethic will result in a longer career for instance uh if you've got a lot of talent i'm thinking of someone like jack villeneuve okay exceptionally talented wasn't necessarily the most, you know, applied person. Won one world championship and then basically went nowhere. Whereas you've got your hard grafters, maybe someone like Damon Hill. I know he won a world championship as well, but wasn't necessarily the most talented. Worked his ass off, had a long career in F1, had a successful career in F1. So I think that the peaks may be higher if you've got super talent but no work ethic, and but you'll get a longer, flatter curve with... Yeah work ethic, but less talent. And obviously, if you're Schumacher, Verstappen, Senna, you've got to have, you know, peak amounts of both. Yeah, talk, talking of, of Senna, he... Um, Senna versus Prost. Yeah, well, well Senna, um, in 93, he was asked, who was the most talented driver you ever drove against? And again, they were expecting him to say Prost or somebody. And, and he said, Terry Fullerton. And everyone looked at each other, who? And he was a karting guy that, that Senna drove with and against in, mm -hmm. in his early days. And he said he was fast, he was consistent. He was, for me, a very complete driver. And, and Terry Fullerton is a 66-year-old penniless bloke who lives in Leicester, who never did anything outside of karting. But you speak to him, and, and he says that, you know, drivers like Prost, Mansell, and Piquet that he drove against and wiped the floor with... <laughs> They were so far below his level that he didn't ever even see them as a threat. Wow. He, he said Senna had something 
um, but wasn't as good as him. And that's the, I think that's the key, isn't it? Especially, that's why talent can be dangerous because if you do, if you do wipe the floor in the junior categories, then where's the where's the impetus to work hard? It's all it all comes easy. Very true. Um, where you know, I think you need that direct yeah. rival to really. I'll tell a quick anecdote if I can. It's um, uh, Richard Burns and Colin McRae. Perfect example of this. They were both in the Subaru team, so they worked very closely together. Uh, Robert Reed, who was Richard Burns' co-driver, has a great Instagram account. Follow him if you if you can. Um, so they'd go testing. McRae had unbelievable natural car control, natural talent, and would go down the road, set a best, set, set a time after two runs, and go, cool, no worries, whatever. Richard would work all day, all day, all day, all day, refine the setup, refine his driving, refine his pace notes. More often than not, Richard would be faster at the end of the day. Right. Doesn't have McRae's, and that you know was a blessing and a curse. Like sometimes it would work in Colin's favour, sometimes it would work in Richard's favour. But it just shows that I think even if you don't have that superlative natural talent, if you do graft at it, you can reach the same level or even sometimes a slightly higher level. Look yeah. at Rosberg and yeah. Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. Are we going about this the wrong way? Because how do, how do you identify talent? And the the obvious answer is success. Mm. But not that's not necessarily the case. We, exactly. We've just highlighted. If you, if you wanted to say success was the mark of talent, then you'd have to throw in another variable, which is money. And in motorsport, you know no one gets to the top of the game without a significant amount of support financially. So exactly how do we identify talent? And, yeah, and, yeah. How talented is... Lance Stroll. I think that's the thing it's, is also yeah. that it's not so how do you identify talent. Talent is necessarily is in one way quite easy to identify. It's the guy at the front. How do you identify work ethic? Yeah. Because Kyrgios is a good, good example. I don't know that much about tennis, but presumably he just like cleaned up in the junior formula because he's fantastic with the mm. tennis racket. But now he's got to the elite level where you need that work ethic. Then it's suddenly, you know, suddenly all the questions are being asked. So Yeah. yeah. He you, struggles you, with conditioning. Yeah, you can identified talent but then how do you know when that person grows up to 16 18 21 and suddenly have the demands of a professional workload how are they going to, i mean you can't know it's impossible because people change they might not have it then they get it vice versa so that's what makes sport so fantastic it's that human infallibility but, human one, of the, fallibility. but one of the things that, that i find so frustrating about sport thinking of the entire world sort of holistically and all types of sport not just motorsport how many undiscovered athletes are there out there that won't ever see the light of day mm. and won't ever get a chance to shine because the recipe and that perfect combination of everything... Talent, work ethic and opportunity. Uh, exactly. Hasn't come together for them. There must be so many out there. How yeah. many wonderful drivers are still I mean, out? we all know that we would be probably on Paul at Le Mans if only we had the opportunity. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, that's <laughs> funny, but... It's it's funnier because you are actually a really handy driver, and so is Andy actually for that matter. Well, so and then there's and then there's me. No, you're very <laughs> handy yourself. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's not ever put all three of us on a cart track together at the same time. <laughs> and this leads very nicely into something else that I wanted to conclude with. Um, there is a new racing series about to kick off this weekend in Australia. It is called TCR. It is. It is getting a lot of people excited because mm. it has the potential to be one of the most engaging and exciting forms of motorsport we've seen in many many years um i think the the expectation is it will be a lot more engaging than supercars um for a number of reasons and let's talk about those reasons okay that's a big call are you okay all right good yeah. let's let's you're talking about the most loved motorsport in australia by no small margin yeah but it's it's becoming less loved these days because it's just mm. sort of 
Still a big fish. But anyway, continue. Well, it doesn't have the word V8 in it anymore. No, that's true. Which has, you know, had a marked effect. So let's start with the engines. Two litres. Two mm-hmm. litres only. It's a. It's a supposed to be a... Milk s- cartons. <laughs> Four cylinders. <laughs> I feel like I've got to fly the Aussie flag, you know. You're just shooting this down from a very... Give it... All right, okay, no, you're okay. That's fine. You be that. I'll be, okay, I'll be I'll that be, guy. I'll be the optimist. Yeah. You can be over on the cool. other side of the fence. I'll adjudicate. Thank you. Great. <laughs> and there we have our battle. And fight. So, front wheel drives. Two litres of power mm-hmm. only. Uh, four cylinders. It's supposed to be a series that is very even. All the cars are supposed to be controlled. There's lots of controls in the in the formula. Um, so it's supposed to be very, very close racing. Um, it's probably going to be not as quick overall as the supercars, mm. which brings which means with lower speeds, there's going to be a little bit more margin for sort of playing around and, and less um, nervousness from the drivers. So mm. what I think we're going to see, hopefully, is something like the halcyon days of the British Touring Car Championship, BTCC, because that is among the most infectiously wonderful uh, series of motorsport I've ever seen. It is. I mean, it's a good point. The BTCC is a good example, especially with the the slower. BTCC is the perfect example of why speed doesn't matter in race cars. Like about a decade ago, they had really, really expensive, really fast cars that no one watched. Yeah. And then they made the cars slower, cheaper, and suddenly they had grids of 45 cars all banging into each other. Yeah. And everyone went, hey, this is fantastic. So, you know... The fact that they're slower than a supercar is, you know, neither here nor there. But the fact that they are... I think the the strongest point is the differentiation. Everybody loves motorsport when there's lots of different uh, variables involved. And we've totally. got, I think, eight manufacturers represented on the grid. Yeah. Um, That's very good. Yeah, it is good. Uh, so, and they're, they're, they're not factory supported because they're not allowed... To, oh, they're factory supported, but they're not factory efforts because you're not allowed yeah. to have a factory team, but you can, you know, have support from... And Honda have come on board, Renault Australia have come on board. Um, I'll play the devil's advocate, but then I can't really be. But when it first, <laughs> when it first arrived, I was like, God, another race series in Australia. We already have too many. What the hell's the point? Who's going to do this? Who's going to want to drive around in two-litre front-wheel drive cars? But I talked to a few people in the industry and they said, no, this should be good. And then that's been proven by the support of it. I mean, we've got... Um, some really good top-line drivers, you know, Tony Delberto, Jason Bright, guys who have uh, run in um, supercars and continue to run as endurance co-drivers, so the, the driving standard should be quite high. A um, few girls on the grid, which is always fantastic. More inclusive. Yes, Chelsea more Angelo, more Molly more Taylor, uh, Alexandra... I can't remember her last name. Sorry, no, Alexandra. Yeah. Um, uh, we've got a diversity of manufacturers... Running costs should be reasonably good. The cars are capped to $200,000, I think, which is, okay, a lot of money, but for a race car, it's extremely cheap. Which means, at the wheel, the drivers will be acutely aware of the fact that they're quite cheap to repair. Exactly. Which means they're not any <laughs> like they're not opposed to damaging them, either. But, yeah, the cool thing is that the public, who may not be particularly engaged with motorsport, will be able to switch this thing on and identify the cars that they yes. see every day. Totally. Yes. And that is, in essence, why... Um, endurance racing, GT racing in Australia is really taking off, mm. is that people can go along to a race. You don't have two things. One, you've got that, um, you can relate to them. You yeah. might not be able to buy one, but you can relate to them. You go, there's a Ferrari, there's a Porsche, whatever. Yes. They look like cars you might see on the road. They all sound different. Exactly what you said, Scotty. Mm-hmm. Variety. Um, and also, there's no foregone conclusion. It's a, it's a very open field, and TCR is absolutely out of stage. Yes. As far as I'm, I know, there's definitely no uh, favourite at this stage. Um, 
But also, yeah, it's that level of accessibility. And this is the thing which I think is so good about TCR and GT racing is you don't really need to know anything about the series. You can jump into any race and, mm. and not have to know who's leading, who's going to win this year, whatever, and really enjoy it. And they're doing clever things with the format as well. I mean, it's been run by uh, the former Supercar CEO, James Warburton, I believe. He's, he's CEO of TCR now. Um, and they've, don't quote me, but I think they've got a thing like a 30-minute race and then... I'm totally going to quote you. Okay, 30-minute race and then like a 20-minute gap where you can only work on the cars for 10 minutes and then straight into another 30-minute race. So the races are quite bite-sized yeah. and they all happen quite quickly. And they're a, numerous. There's lots yeah. over the weekend. Yeah, over this, um, it's runs with the Shannon National Series. So again, people who do want to sort of tune in and out, they're not diehard motorsport fans. They can tune in for an, for an hour and get a whole lot of action. They don't have to sit down like... For a, even a Grand Prix with two hours or two and a half hours or whatever, they can, yeah, just for the casual fan, it should appeal. But then hopefully for the hardcore fan, the racing should be door to door and banging wheels and all sorts of stuff. So I guess we'll see you this weekend. Very exciting stuff. Do you have a favorite driver, Dan? How dare you? <laughs> of course I do. And anyone who understands why that has is a, is a weighted question will not need me to answer it. Yes. Everyone else can just do a bit of research yeah uh gentlemen it is that time when we have to say farewell once again mm. uh but thank you so much for joining me in the studio studio no it's not hardly that is it that's a very glorified room description closet. it's like it's very cold room today and i remember when it was like summer and it was 47 degrees in here and now it's uh i think it's minus 11 a penguin just walked through the door and then I left in, again because he's like earlier, so cold and i said what is it? I said it's like the temperature of deep space in here. And what did you say, Andy? <laughs> I said um, that myself and Tony O'Kane were discussing earlier whether the Toyota Supra would be uh, launched before the heat death of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> we're eagerly awaiting that, Toyota. Absolutely love it. Um, we'll discuss it next week. I, I think that is a wonderful thing. Yes, next week we will be discussing the Toyota Supra, when it will arrive or not, and how much is a reasonable price for it. Ooh. In the meantime, Scott Newman and Andy Enright and myself, Daniel Gardner, uh, wish you a very, very happy rest of the week. Um, if you want to stay in touch with everything that's going on throughout the week, whichcar.com.au, uh, various social media channels, and how about this for an idea? Pick up one of our mags. Yeah. They're still out there. Print is lovely and romantic. They're really good. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you again next week.